This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. this episode of Women in Engineering, success stories from STEM professionals. In this episode, I will be talking with Indira Figueroa. She is the Senior Vice President, National Aviation Market Leader at WSE USA. And we're gonna be talking about her career in aviation, civil engineering, her approach to leadership and client service, and her perspective as a woman in a male-dominated field. I am your host, Tiffany Tichi, a Senior Mechanical Engineer, STEM Advocate, TEDx International Speaker, and an internationally recognized author of children's book, which includes What Can I Be? STEM Careers from A to Z, as well as the STEM Crew Kids Adventure Series. I'm also the host of the Read It Right radio show, which is on WDRB Media. And I'm the owner of Thrive Edge Publishing and owner and publishing consultant of Inspired Authors Publishing. And with that, let's jump right into today's episode. Before we go on here, here's a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, PS&S. PS&S is an award-winning one-stop shop of architecture and engineering excellence. The depth and breadth of their expertise has helped PS&S grow into a firm offering multi-discipline, full-service architecture, engineering, design, environmental, and surveying consulting services. They offer a single source for planning, design, regulatory compliance services on diverse projects across several market segments, including education, energy, utilities, hospitality, entertainment, infrastructure, public improvement, real estate, and science technology. Having proudly served a sophisticated client base operating in numerous industries, they know the importance of developing on-time, cost-effective, and high-quality solutions to the most difficult challenges. For more information, visit psands.com. That's psands.com. Now it's time to jump right into the main segment of our episode. Today, I have with me Indera Figueroa. Indera, welcome to the Women in Engineering podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Very happy to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's jump on into it. Can you tell us about your journey in civil engineering field, particularly in aviation, and how you progressed to your current role as senior vice president and national aviation market leader at WSP USA? Wow, that's a lot of years that I have to condense real quick, but um, a great journey, a great journey from, from day one. Um, my dad actually used to work on aviation uh, airports since I was 13 years old in, our, in my native country, in the Dominican Republic. So he used to operate airports. So I was always about and around airports. So after that, then I decided I don't want to do what my dad does. Why would I do that? Uh, it's crazy. So I went in and I started with a chemical engineering degree, <laughs> you know, fast forward a lot of years. And uh, in the midst of that, um, I said, this is kind of boring for me. Maybe I'll go into civil engineering. So I switched my major in my junior year to uh, civil engineering. And next thing you know, um, I started um, at a civil engineering company doing a lot of 
uh, engineering work, uh, not related to airports still, because remember, kids never want to do what the parents, you know, are doing or telling them to do. So I decided that I was going to do highway design. I was going to do stormwater management, construction management, program management, but no aviation, right? I was staying away from it. Until the last 15 years where I've been completely submerged in the aviation world, I went into a program where uh, this particular airline was built, uh, expanding uh, their, their head house or their terminal building. And ever since then, I never left. I was doing Lincoln Center for the Performing Arts. I was doing highways. Uh, and then this one particular project said, this is where you belong. And ever since then, I've been doing that. Um, then how from there, staying in the aviation field, how did I progress to this point is through a lot of great uh, relationships and mentorships and exposure to projects, exposure to people where I've been able to continue to grow my expertise as an aviation professional and be more exposed to projects of different magnitudes, whether they are on the design part of the world or the program management part of the world um, or the environmental part. Um, aviation offers everything. So you have a little bit of everything at an airport, right? It's a mini city. So you're able to just do a little bit of, uh, of engineering in any piece of the airport, whether that is a highway, a train, a building, an airfield, power plant, uh, you could do anything inside an airport. So, so here I am today uh, running the uh, aviation business for our, one of the largest, AV, actually is the largest engineering company in the world. So very exciting. Wow. I'm amazed. I mean, you went from, you said, chem, do you say chemical engineering? And then decided yeah. to switch. Then you switched over to civil. I mean, either one of them. I mean, for you to switch over in the middle of it, I'm amazed at that. And so kudos yeah. to you to taking that to the next level. You know, with two decades in civil engineering, especially in aviation, what was it that inspired you to pursue this field? And I think you might have touched on a little bit, but how, you know, have you seen this career evolve over years? Yeah, um, actually, as I said, right, exposed from the very beginning, it's very amazing. You know, when you go in a highway, a, a car costs, what, $25,000, $30,000? These airplanes are a million dollars, right? So the insurance requirements just to be in an airport, you know, working at an airport are ridiculous. It's not that the thousand or whatever amount of dollars you pay for insurance on your car this is like $25 million of insurance for you to get into an airfield. So it, the magnitude is ridiculously huge, right? Which makes it so much more exciting. Um, so it has changed tremendously. So, so remember the airports, the airport business also is very male dominated, right? So it's a very big different difference than, you know, all the engine, mind you, most of engineering careers are very male dominated as a whole. This one in particular has its uh, interest, but I've seen a very big change through the years since I started doing this as an engineer, not just in aviation till today, you do see a lot of more females in the field, which is the biggest change. Um, mind you, still not enough of us out here, but I now do talk to airport, uh, clients that are, uh, the CEOs that are women, right? So that's a huge change that you didn't see in the past. Uh, usually everybody was coming from a military background to do these kind of work. Now you don't see that as, I mean, you still see it as much, but now you see the difference on other kind of uh, backgrounds coming in and working at the airports. So there has been a big difference in, in, in the industry when it comes to the aviation piece, just on the type of people that are doing the work as opposed to 
uh, you know, in the past. Also, the way that we deliver work at airports, so remember, you can't close the airport. The airport has to stay open. So you, so a lot of people complain, oh, so much construction. We can't close. It's not like a road that you could just say, okay, close the tour this way. Uh, it's just that airport, right? So um, it, it becomes very challenging. The way that we did it before to the way that we do it today with technology, with uh, expertise of people are more um, prepared to do the work that we do also makes a big difference and more engaging, right, to do the aviation work today than it was in the past. So very excited that way. I love it. I love it. Now, with the job that you do, you know, there's always some challenges and then there's rewarding aspects of it. So could you, you know, share some insights into your most, most challenging and rewarding aspects of managing high occupancy utilization spaces in aviation projects? The biggest challenge is the customer experience, right? So you, again, you have to keep the airport open. So the biggest challenge that we present, aside from, you know, the, the regular challenge of a project, the, the, the biggest challenge is to make sure that that facility that you are trying to get to the next place doesn't lose a customer um, want to go back there again um, kind of um, feeling. So, for example, when we were participating in the LaGuardia Airport uh, Redevelopment Program, um, you probably saw it in the news. People would get out of the cars and start walking into the terminal. The traffic was horrendous. Um, mind you, it was kind of not different to what it was before because you can get stuck in that parkway for hours anyway. But, you know, that kind of press and us working through that and making sure that people can get and do what they need to do, that is a big challenge. And that doesn't only happen there. It happens in many airports. You could go around the country that are doing construction. That is our biggest challenge to to figure out how do how do we maintain the airport customer, you know, satisfaction as we're trying to provide this uh, you know new construction or new services on the airport. That is quite challenging for us. Um, for me, is also people, right? So you have to manage a whole lot of different people and uh, backgrounds and knowledge and putting all those together to work, it's, it's challenging. It's very challenging because although we have the same interests at the end, to get there takes all those interests to be aligned, right? So that, that is a big challenge. The biggest reward is to see it completed. <laughs> is to see the work done uh, and you flying out of the particular airport terminal or using those roadways or something that related to just being done. So that is my biggest reward. I love going to, I'm from New York, right? So I, I love going to Kennedy Airport and, and, and you know, riding the roads that I designed when I was a younger engineer, right? And today they are there constructed, flying out of those terminals that, you know, I was part of the construction management team. So that is, that is rewarding to see that final product. Oh, yes. When you've done all the work that you've done and then see it come to fruition is amazing. And I think that's a part of this whole engineering with um, the project works and all that we do to see it come and people are using it and it works. I mean, you were right. And on it, it works, right? <laughs> <laughs> if they, it's like if they only knew <laughs> all they only, it exactly. to get to this point. So I love how you shared that. Yes, definitely rewarding to see the end results. Now, I'm amazed. Your role is senior vice president. That's amazing. At WSP USA. Can you tell me, you know, how do you balance the technical responsibilities with the need for exceptional customer service and the business development? 
That's a great question. So um, I always say, so WSP is a very uh, supportive organization in terms of, you know, promoting the next generation of people and also giving us the support to to have the resources that we need to move forward, right? So we I, I've been pretty lucky with the people that I'm working with and, um, and, and all around the organization has been great. Um, but in terms of balancing, you know, your everyday life, that is challenging, right? Because I also have a family. So there is, there is the piece of the work at, at work and the, and the different components of the work at work, like the business development piece, which I, I really like my airport clients to see me as a partner, not a salesperson, Right. That's not I, I don't I really don't like that piece. Um, but it's how you actually develop those relationships with your clients so that they don't see you as that. They see you as a partner that is coming in to do the work with them. Uh, the beauty is that I do have that background. I, I have done it. I've stepped through it so they can see you from a different lens as a partner, not just as a person that is trying to sell you services. So that has been of very big importance to me on how I relate to our client base at the organizational level, but also as a professional, right? So because you, you always move on or not, um, and you want your peers or your clients or your colleagues to see you as that professional that you are bringing the truth of the business that you are uh, you know, performing. So that that is this challenging. I travel a lot. So in my aviation role, I don't go to the next stop. I go to the next airport, right? So, and the next airport is not usually in the same city, right? So, because um, that's why you have the airport, so you could go far. Um, so therefore, um, it makes it really challenging. Like today, I'm doing this this uh, discussion with you from Atlanta, uh, but I live in New York, right? And I was in Nashville earlier in the week. So I think, uh, you know, that balance of all the travel uh, plus your family, plus work is is quite challenging. But having a supportive team, a supportive organization, and a supportive family makes it a little better. You just get tired, but then you move on and you you know you do what you need to do. It's it's tough. It's a tough um, harmonization. It's no balance, right? Because you yes. can never do fifty fifty. You do a hundred today and zero for that one, and then yes. next week you switch it. So I, I call it harmonization. You know, mm -hmm. how did you harmonize all of these stuff so that you are still one whole and giving your best to everybody else? I was just about to say that a lot of times people say work-life balance, but I'm so glad me and you're on the same page. Work-life <laughs> harmony or work-life integration. That's what I call it too. So integration. So yes, that's yes. true. Yes. So I love, yes. yeah. So we're on the same page. I love it. So thank you for sharing that definitely with your family and then the traveling and your company as well. So talk about sustainability and resilience are critical in today's infrastructure projects. Can you share some examples of how you've incorporated these elements into your projects? Yes. Uh, and that's a very specific uh, question, which I like, uh, because we all talk about sustainability. We all talk about resiliency, uh, but we all talk about it, right? Yeah. So how much is everybody doing? I think every airport is very different because the sustainability requirements for one are not the same for another. And we say in our industry, you, when you've been to one airport, you've been to one airport, meaning they're all very different, right? So um, so the way that we do it, it depends on the type of project that we are doing, right? So if it's a more design-oriented project, we will have those uh, ideas or initiatives or out-of-the-box uh, thinking 
on the design element of that particular project. And that could be from, you know, the way that we're doing the materials for that particular and the construction stage, you know, what kind of materials are we using, how we're recycling, how that, that's the construction piece. But one good example that I like giving is, you know, even when you're designing, you're saying, okay, the train is going to go that way in that particular terminal building. But that way, which we call bucking grade, which you're going against the grade, it's taking a lot more energy. Can we change the slope so that the train is just using less energy? You know, the, the little, little things that you could uh, change, maybe it's not um, site, you know, the site has to be specifically good for you to do that, but just in the little thinking of how do you change the course of something so that it can use less of what you are trying to take away from the environment. So that's one way that we do it, uh, thinking about, okay, what do I have? How do I do less of that, you know, spendable fuel or material so that I don't impact so much. So there is that not so much impact. And then there also could be, let me use something different, right? Or let me approach this construction a little bit different. So that is on the design side. On the program management side, which we are not designing, is how do we procure in a more sustainable way? How do we engage people to our business that are going to have that kind of thinking and it's going to help our build uh, our people in our groupings be more uh, efficient. So it's about efficiency of labor, efficiency on how we procure work. And then on the master planning side of the house is how we imagine the whole airport, right? So how, where are we putting the hydrogen fuel in distributions area? You know, where are we putting, which is in the future, of course, but where where are we doing, how are we planning that airport so that it's very efficiently operating and therefore resiliency and adaptable to the next generation of findings that we're going to come up with? I love it. I love it. I mean, you gave some great examples. I mean, even one little minor tweak, you can imagine what you can do and the impact it's making. So I love how you shared that example of it because you never know um, that minor tweak could major change that was necessary. And so I love how you shared that with the resiliency and the sustainability. Now let's go into, you have extensive experience in coordinating with multiple agencies and stakeholders. What are your strategies for effective communication and alignment in such diverse environments? It's engaging early, right? So for us and for me in particular is let's start the conversation with that particular stakeholder today. Now when we think we need them, but let's start talking about what would it be? What does it mean? for you to do this today, right? So so we, we I, I do like engaging people, getting them to the table in early, early in the process, not when we think, oh, well, now we're going to start this, this piece, so let's get them in now. Well, now might be too late because you could have been using all this time to educate that particular stakeholder on what you're trying to do. Educate it from the point of, bit, uh, of view of what is your objective and your final goals for this, or educating because that particular stakeholder is not familiar with what we do all together, right? So, because you have stakeholders from all different walks of life. So that early engagement for me has proven to be very successful. They feel part of the team. Decision-making process is much faster, much easier. And then the building of relationships also is a much better way of approaching it because they feel that they get to know you and it's not they feel it. they do get to know you better and you get to know them better as well. So I think um, early engagement for me on stakeholder, it's it's paramount. That's awesome. That's awesome. Definitely. 
get them started early. <laughs> so not wait till the last minute. It's like that whole proactive and, you know, not being active. Reactive. Yeah. Reactive. So yes. that's a key part of it. So I love how you shared that. Now, let's talk about this male-dominated field. As a woman in a traditionally male-dominated <laughs> field, what has it been as far as your experience in the civil engineering industry? And what advice, you know, can you give as far as for young women aspiring to enter in this field? So it's been, I, to be honest, um, I guess it's how you take it as a, as a woman approaching this discussion and, and how you walk the path. So, for example, when you are pushy or on your face, we are called that, pushy on your face, but they are called assertive, right? They are assertive people. We are not assertive. We're just being pushy and they call us names for that too, right? So, so that's, that's the definition of a woman assertive. So that becomes very annoying. It's not the word, but frustrating, <laughs> pretty frustrating because I'm like, no, I'm being exactly like you, but it's just that I have a high pitched voice. You know, it's exactly like, but you don't see it that way because I'm not supposed to be this way based on how our culture came about. And we, you are the dominating strength, smart, all of that. And I'm just supposed to be ladylike, right? So that, that whole thing is what it is, right? So for me, that's what it's been. I am, I know I'm, I have a strong personality, right? So I know that I voice my ideas. Some others might not like when I voice my idea and they call me intimidating maybe, but that is my journey. That's what has been my journey on that field. I don't think it has stopped me from growing. I think it's just made it more challenging and me trying to learn, okay, if this is what this person is going to do, then I have to do this, right? So, which they don't learn that with us, right? They just plow ahead, right? <laughs> so, but for us, it's like, okay, so that they don't call me X, I have to behave this way. Um, mind you, not compromising what I stand for. So that is never to compromise, just to make sure that we're building the relationship and I can go to the next place. So that has been my journey there. Getting here today and what I can tell people is be good at what you do. The only thing that we can respond back with is our knowledge of the subject. Don't know it halfway. And then you'll say, but they don't know it fully. I'm like, yeah, but you're asking me how you succeed through this. Not how they succeed through this, right? They already have gotten through. So how you succeed through it for me is be knowledgeable of your piece of the pie. Be strong about your beliefs and stand strong. That doesn't mean being transigent. That means be strong in terms of have the right uh, demeanor on how you you are defending your point of view, right? So, uh, but do be knowledgeable of the piece of the pie that, re that is yours. Don't be just halfway because that's then the downfall. Wow, that was some great advice, <laughs> especially in this journey, in this field, in this industry. So I love how you said that because that is important. Know your stuff. You have to. <laughs> and don't halfway. Yeah. I love how you said that. That's amazing. Yeah. So as we, you know, close out, talk about trends and our future. Looking at, you know, towards a, as far as our future, what trends or innovations do you see shaping the aviation industry, particularly in the terms of infrastructure? 
So that's a great question because that's something that we're dealing with right now uh, as the airport. Many airports do redevelopment, right? So everywhere. So you, you, you go any city, there is an airport trying to do something cutting edge or to the next place. So one of the things that I see with us as passengers, right, is we don't want to wait, right? We just want to get there, get to the gate, you know, and get on the plane. Or if we are on a vacation, that, that's the business traveler. We just want to go boom, 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 right? And to the next place. For the vacationer, they will, or the leisure traveler, will like to get to the airport, enjoy the facilities, because they're on vacation the minute they get to the airport, right? <laughs> so, and, and, and they make their way without a hitch to the next to the next place. So the fact that we have a low level of tolerance for things going wrong, that's where I see the innovation of our industry. So make it easy for me to drop off baggage. So this baggage system, a little bit different than just me getting on a line forever to, to drop off my bags. So uh, maybe they take it, you know, at the beginning of my ride, when I catch my Uber you know, I could drop off at a particular place. I don't know where, but or when I take my mass transit, you know, is as soon as I get to the station, they have a you know a conveyance system that takes it to the airport. You know, so so maybe more creative on that. The checking in, you know, they're going through the checkpoint uh, instead of me trying to people still taking off their shoes, taking things out of the bag, the laptop for those that don't have TSA pre-check, right? So those people that go on that line, why do they have to do that? What makes my laptop different than that one? Just because I got the pre-check, right? So, so you know, I think the check-in whole experience for us is a place where we are doing a lot more in the industry. You have the facial recognition, you know, the biometrics. You have a lot of all, all those pieces that, although some other airports outside the U.S. are doing some of it, I see it more widely used in the U.S. so that we can be a little bit more agile as we deal with customer experience, you know, through the airport. And there are tons of other things that happen, you know, uh, sitting at your hold room or, you know, your waiting area and just ordering food and coming to you. Some airports are already doing it, but I think more of that, right? Um, wellness centers at airports, you see that when you have a delay fly and now you don't know what to do. More um, amenities for passengers in that way so that they can stay active and not get frustrated for being in the airport. So I see a lot of innovation in terms of customer experience at the airport. Of course, there will be innovation related to you know, better fueling for aircraft. You know, we're talking about hydrogen fueling, we talk about electrical, but those take a little longer, right? Just because of all the pro uh, procedures and, and processes and standards that we have to follow. But customer service experience, I think is where I see a lot of innovation from airlines and, and other organizations. Love it. I mean, that is key. <laughs> you want to make sure the people are happy. So definitely, <laughs> um, that's a good one. So let's close out. How can people, and thank you so much for being a great guest. How can people get in touch with you? Are you on LinkedIn? Like what other ways are people can get in touch with you to learn more and more about you? Of course, um, LinkedIn. <laughs> you know, everybody has LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is uh, one social media platform that I use a lot. They can also engage with our WSB website, WSB.com. And if you go to the aviation section, my contact information is also on that page. So they can get through me there, that way as well. And I'm always open to talk to people and um, share with them or engage them with us. I love it because I think that's what keeps us current. 
hearing what others want and what others are thinking. So yeah, so those are two ways to get in touch. I'm not a big social media person in terms of I don't have a lot of time, but those two. <laughs> Love it. Definitely. <laughs> understood. Understood. You are a senior vice president and have a family and everything. So kudos to you. Um, thank you so thank much you. for being a great guest. Um, I hope they've been taking notes because you've been giving some great gems. So thank you so much for being a great guest. Thank you so much. Uh, glad to participate and thanks for the invitation. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you won't miss our upcoming episodes featuring interviews with inspiring women, engineers, discussions about industry trends, and much more. Go to womenandengineeringpodcast.com where you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, website, or books mentioned during this episode. Until next time, may your engineering endeavors be as remarkable as the women whose stories we're sharing. Stay curious, keep innovating, and engineer a better future.